Well, honey, that was um the folks down in Brazil, and I thought maybe that you'd like to hear them. So I took the recorder down there when we went, and everybody got a big kick out of hearing themselves on the tape. Most of the little kids, they were sort of afraid to talk, <laughs> but um, we had lots of fun with it. We're home now, and we got home late Saturday night, and today is Sunday. And Grandma Newland's out here, and I'm going to go out and let her say a few words to you. Um, I didn't get a chance to get Ken or Sandy because they weren't home, and we weren't really there that long. We were mostly going up to the park. Um, that's the first time I ever had those nut bars your dad made, your grandpa makes. And they're really good. I ate so many of them I got sick. <laughs> well, I'll go out and let Grandma say a few words to you. Episode 9. Nitty Gritty. Now that you have heard from my sister and had a glimpse into the memories from her young experience, it's a perfect segue that you also just heard from my mother Janice herself. She recorded that sweet message to my dad in the late summer of 1968. They were newlyweds and love was in the air. My dad is the man who knew my mom best. My dad Thomas James Sanders, or Jim, as he likes to be called. I admit that recruiting individuals to participate in a podcast such as this has had its challenges, so I am grateful for all the willing participants. It's not an easy story to tell just sourcing from my own perspective. I mean, give me a break. For most of my mother's life, I was just a conceptual thought, and then ultimately a baby in diapers when she last saw me. I don't have those personal memories about her to tell, only those precious stories shared with me by grandparents. On the other hand, my dad is one of the very few remaining souls that carry in their heart the memories of my mother Janice. So let's do this.
I will preface that breakups and divorce are always sad, stressful for all parties involved, and there are always two sides of the story. My parents' marriage ended in the winter of 1973, became official in the summer of 1973, and my dad was remarried in the fall of 1973. Of course, there are reasons to separate and divorce can be understood from different points of view, and my mom is not living to tell her tale. Everyone goes down the aisle with half the story hidden. Never take sides in a broken marriage. Why is that? Because however much the couple may strive to be honest, no one is ever in possession of the facts. My dad didn't volunteer his actual voice, but he made the effort to write a cherished letter to his son. It's ultimately a letter of support, clarity, and a bona fide attempt at participation. He writes, I guess we should start at the racing season in summer of 1966 at the South Bend Motor Speedway. My friends and I were told about a man who was interested in driving our race car. Gerald Libertowski ended up driving for us for two summers, and I also worked for him pouring concrete at residential projects for those two summers. He had become a family friend, but never a close friend, just a working friend. At the end of summer, 1967, at the time of the Vietnam War, I knew my name was getting close to the draft. Two of my buddies had been drafted, so I knew my name was coming soon. I told your mom I thought I would volunteer, and that way I could pick what schooling I wanted. I chose the engineers. It was a three-year commitment, but I thought it was the right one. I was 18 at the time and needed to start working and making decisions about the future. At the end of summer, I left for basic training to Fort Leonard Wood in Missouri. After eight weeks of basic training, I came home on leave. Before I left Fort Leonard Wood, our company CO told us that many of us would most likely be going to Vietnam after our six weeks of schooling. When I arrived home in South Bend, I told your mom about the Army's plans for me. We thought, let's get married.
In January 1968, North Korea captured the USS Pueblo. After six weeks of tech school training, we were sent to Korea. Washington, D.C. was setting up for a possible confrontation with North Korea. By the end of 1968, North Korea let our crew return to the U.S. The, the treatment that the Pueblo crew had in uh, North Korea, in the prisons, was, was horrible. They were starved nearly to death. Uh, they were beaten. They were uh, mentally harassed. At one point, when they were taking pictures of us, they, they noticed that quite a few of the crew members had their middle finger extended. One of the pictures was published on, in Time magazine. And when that happened, and they started beating the entire crew, all of us. I returned back to the States in April 1969 and was assigned to Fort Eustis, Virginia. I had 14 days to go home, get your mom, and head for Virginia. Your mom had just wrecked my 55 Chevy, and there was no time to get it completely fixed. So I bought your Aunt Lena's 1965 Chevy, and we left for Virginia. We found a small apartment in Newport News, and it would be our home until November 1970. It was a good neighborhood. We took walks at night and sat on the porch and just talked. When I would walk through the door, I was always greeted by your mom with, Welcome home, Sanders, or Welcome home, Sergeant. Your mom told me she wanted to be a housewife and mother. We had plans for when we returned to South Bend. To hear again a songbird sweet melodious tone Won't you meet me Out in the moonlight along The dusky light the day is losing Orchids, poppies, black-eyed Susan The earth and sky that melts with flesh and bone Three big things happened in that time frame. Men walked on the moon, I went to Okinawa for three months, and of course your sister Dina was born. In the summer of 1969, when men walked on the moon, your mom and I had a small black and white TV that I had to hit with a shoe to get it to come on. So I turned it on three days ahead of time just to be sure it was working. Right after we found out your mom was pregnant with your sister, I got sent to Okinawa for three months. 
Your mom wanted to go back to South Bend for some time. However, she did return before I got back to Fort Eustis. I flew her back and forth a couple of times to South Bend. Only the best way to travel for a pregnant woman. She then returned to Newport News just before your sister was born. In November 1970, I was discharged and we headed back to South Bend. We moved into the house on Kensington Avenue just after Thanksgiving in 1970. We spent weekends with my buddies Roger, Lenny, and their families. On Friday, we would go to the South Bend Motor Speedway, and on Saturday, to the drive-in movie. All seemed well, and we were content with life. Dashing through the snow in a one-horse open sleigh O'er the fields we go laughing all the way The bells on bobtail ring, they make our spirits bright What fun it is to ride and sing a sleighing song tonight You were born in December 1972, and shortly after that I felt a change had come over your mom, and I didn't know how to handle it. She was just not happy with me, the house, and the family. On December 31st, 1972, Jerry Libertowski showed up at our house with his girlfriend, Janice. I had not seen him or talked to him in two years. As he entered the living room, he tossed his coat down on the floor and plopped down on the sofa. I had just gave your mom a puppy for her birthday. The puppy walked over and peed on his coat. I never heard your mom laugh so hard. Jerry had come over and wanted us to go with him to a New Year's Eve party. Against our best judgment, we decided to go. February 1973, your mom said she wanted a divorce. 
For the next few days, I talked to her, trying to change her mind. Then one day, after work, I pulled into the driveway at the Kensington house, and there was a police car and two cops standing on the porch. They handed me a restraining order and told me I could go in, get some clothes, but then had to leave. You and your sister were not there. I assumed your mom had taken you to her parents. I went to my parents to stay and tried to get a handle on what just happened. I wanted to find out what was going on, so a friend and I followed her one night to a bar on Michigan Street, and it was just as I had suspected. There was Gerald Libertowski waiting for her in the bar. Gerald Libertowski was a very persuasive when it came to women, and he knew what buttons to push and when to push them. In May 1973, your mom moved from the Kensington home to her own apartment. From then on, things went downhill. We struggled with how we were going to handle the visitation rights and the money for support. So, for the next year and a half, it was tough trying to manage everything. Your stepmom and I had been married since September of 1973. And in May of 1975, we had our first child. In the second week of June 1975, you and your sister were visiting with us for a few days because your mom had called us and wanted us to take you guys for a few days. First time that ever happened. When she came to pick you both up, she, she said she was making some changes and wanted to have a better relationship in regards to raising you guys. That was the last time we saw or talked to her. The day after she went missing, your grandma Joanne called me and told me what had happened and asked me to come over and get you and your sister. Your stepmom and I went from having no children in the house to having one and then within two months, we had three. God's grace and love is sufficient for all circumstances in our life. What I have learned over the years is that my mom Janice was somewhat of an extrovert, my dad Jim an introvert. My mom enjoyed experimenting with her own brand of hairstyle, makeup, and fashion. My dad thought it all unnecessary. My mom was not a devoted Christian. My dad was and still is. These differences may seem trivial in hindsight, but in that moment, for a couple in their early 20s, it may have just been the inevitability of simply growing apart as young adults. I will end this nitty gritty with my dad's best words of wisdom. James, you are definitely your mother's son.